0: Hello and welcome to the Abbey England podcast. This podcast is all about discussing industry insights with our fellow suppliers, customers, and leading industry experts within the saddlery and leather trade. In today's episode, you will be hearing from Mark Romain, MBE, and Master Saddler. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Abbey England Podcraft. My name is Ishbel Watson, and today we have a very special guest uh, joining us. We have Mark Romain, MBE, Master Saddler and Harness Maker, previous president of the Society of Master Saddlers, receiver of the Lifetime Achievement Award by Beta. Mark, I could probably go on, but... um, (laughs) I'm not here to list all your achievements and we're here to talk about your career and the impact it's had on salary. So thank you for joining us this morning. How are you feeling?
1: Uh, very good, thanks. It's very kind of you to, to invite me to do this. I'll do my best to answer your questions.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's an absolute honour to have you. Um, we appreciate you're a very busy man, especially the last three months, as you were just telling me offline. Um so I want to start at the very beginning. Uh, I read that your Saddlery uh, career started in 1973 when you took up your apprenticeship. I'm really interested to know who or what inspired your career in Saddlery?
1: Well, I suppose initially, if you go back to my school days, I was um, very interested in the practical parts of going to school and we had some really good metal work and woodwork shops and and teachers i might add in mm. the school i went to and i really enjoyed that so i knew that when i was coming up to leaving school that i wanted to do something practical i didn't really know quite what it would be and um, i went for some careers evenings and talked about various um, options that i might have And I went for a few interviews, but I eventually um, landed a job as a lorry bodybuilder, which was mostly woodwork, actually, back in those days. Mm. And I did start that apprenticeship, but I very quickly realised that it wasn't really for me. I didn't really like the work that much, and um, and if I'm honest, neither the place. Mm. So after a couple of months of being there, I kind of started looking around as to what else I could do, and I met. A lad, few years older than me, who dropped out of his saddlery apprenticeship with the uh, firm in Salisbury. Yeah. And so I just rang them up, just sort of uh, thought, well, I'll take a chance and
0: <laughs> take his place.
1: <laughs> and say, uh, you know, I hear you're looking for an apprentice. Because they hadn't they hadn't got around to advertising it, <laughs> so they were a bit intrigued as to how I'd heard about this, <laughs> uh, which I explained, and anyhow, uh, they invited me in. Uh, to see the workshops and the work on a on a Saturday morning, yeah. and I um, handed my notice in <laughs> and started then a week later. Um, and I uh, and I was really lucky. I sort of fell on my feet. I loved the work almost immediately.
0: Oh, that's uh, great to hear.
1: Stayed there for about 14 years. Um, yes,
0: I I read that. And then at which point you became a salary training advisor.
1: I did. Yeah. yeah.
0: So clearly training and education has been a clear vocation um, from sort of what, what are we talking 1986 roundabout That's when you right. became yes. so i'm interested to know were you asked to become a salary training advisor or was a role created for you how did you make that transition
1: so although i was really happy at um, ingrams where i apprenticed and worked for all those years It was a family business and there was really no way to progress, you know, and as a sort of young man sort of heading from my 30s, you're looking at, you know, where your life's going and what you're doing. And I didn't really, couldn't really see a future, sadly, in staying with Ingram. So I'd been looking for some time as to what I could do. Mm. And I met one day, so so there was a government quango called COSIRA, which was the Council of Small Industries in Rural Areas. And they yeah. ran all sorts of courses in rural craft, thatching to blacksmithing, saddlery, wheelwriting. Um, And I knew about them. I'd, I'd actually been on some courses um, where I worked, had sent me on some saddle making courses. So I knew about them. I knew they existed. And I just happened to bump into the, one of the, they had two advisors there teaching the saddlery. And one of them was coming up for retirement. And I just happened to bump into him one day in the tank. And mm got chatting with him and then he told me mm-hmm. that he was retiring and I started to ask him questions about you know whether they were going to advertise his position and what might happen and and he said if if I was really interested he said he would get me all the details about the job and when it when and where it would be advertised so that um, mm-hmm. I could look into it and apply uh, which is what I did I think it was advertised I think it was in the horse and the hound and the equestrian trade
0: mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Uh, and you got the job
1: and i uh, yeah, looked back so since then i got the <laughs> job <laughs> yes and um well obviously you know i thought that training would interest me i'd done a little bit of training where i worked we had an apprentice at one time that i i kind of took charge of mm-hmm. um but you don't really know until you you try these things so i took the job in an effort to um to sort of better myself i suppose and yeah. try my and a different aspect and my first um six nine months in the job I actually wasn't sure whether it was going to be for me or not found why it, is that then found it quite challenging I suppose from coming from coming away from the bench you know working spending all your time making things yeah um, to now did you miss
0: did you miss that element then I
1: missed that element and um and then of course you're you're meeting lots of people and and it can be quite challenging, I think, to start with when you're training. I think you need to kind of establish yourself and gain people's confidence, and that takes a little bit of time. But anyhow, um, the longer I was there, the longer I spent there, I suppose the more confident I became. I was sent off on various training courses and, and eventually qualified as an adult education um, trainer. An assessor. And um, and I guess after I'd been there maybe 18 months or two, I suddenly had a light bulb moment that actually I really enjoy this. Yeah. Um, and I loved uh, meeting different people every week, coming on courses and um, realised that I kind of found my vocation, I suppose. I can imagine
0: that was really interesting to, to meet all these different people, how they how they came to Saddlery and, and the reasons behind it. Um, I can imagine you heard some fantastic stories.
1: I did. And I think what was the challenge at the start in meeting all these people and, you know, would you be able to um, help them and train them <laughs> turned into the part of the job that actually is so enjoyable? It's to meet people and kind of try and help them on their journey to qualify and improve and all the rest of it
0: oh I can imagine and I've I've read as well that over your time you've uh, taught 300 salary apprentices and way over 2,000 salary short-term course candidates which is remarkable in itself and a a huge contribution uh, to the industry (laughs) so you're clearly a great teacher if uh, if the students keep coming back
1: wow Um, I hope yes I hope so I mean yeah and I'm still in touch with a lot of those people, even some back into the 80s. Oh, wow! Um, You know, I better not name some of them, but um, (laughs) there were some who were sort of like 16, 18 year olds then who are now heading towards the 50, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's lovely. And it's lovely to see them, you know, bump into some of them at beta and others at the competition each year and
0: see how they've developed as a, a battler or harness maker whatever they've become and that's, right. um, that's lovely so after doing that um after doing your salary training advisor role you then set up the salary training center with your wife Dawn in the year 2000 I would like to know what was that response to at the time was it lack of training facilities or was it wanting to make a business for yourself can you tell us the reasons behind that
1: yeah well so, as I already mentioned, it was COSIRA that I mm. took the training job on with originally. Yeah. They merged in the late 80s with the Development Commission and became the Rural Development Commission. And then later in the 90s, they merged again and it became the Countryside Agency. So, in yeah. the, around about 96, 97, they had a huge review of the whole organisation and all the different things that they did, and they decided that they wanted to contract out all of the craft training because they didn't feel that the organization should be delivering training. they thought there were plenty of other organizations more experienced that should be doing that uh, okay so um so they advertised that and invited bids from colleges training providers um and i um, approached the management at the time and said that i'd like to put in a bid to start my own training center and initially they were reluctant um but can I i ask
0: why why that was
1: i think at the time there were there was um there was a lot of this type of thing going on where um things were being contracted out from government and different places and so people that had quite a lot of experience in delivering things were putting together that you know setting up their own companies and putting in bids so it was quite common mm. at the time um but of course they were really looking for colleges to take it on and I think that was the reluctance to let a sort of independent person uh,
0: it yeah um, versus an established college that was yeah. already there and had its bricks down yes yeah. okay
1: but anyhow I took myself off and um chatted to the to Tony Russell who was the Chief Executive of the Society of Master Saddlers and Stephen Brereton-Martin, who was the clerk of a saddlers' company. Um, and I explained to them um, what was happening and what I wanted to do. And they both um, wrote letters of support for me to, um, to be allowed to put a bid in. Mm-hmm. And, um, anyhow, to cut a long story short, that was considered and eventually I was told that I could. But obviously, yeah. they, there was, there'd was there be no favours shown because there was an employee, you know, which, yeah. was, which was fair enough. I said, that's absolutely fine. I just want to be, have the chance. Um, so in
0: the bid, did you have to write out exactly what the programme looked like, your training programmes? Yes how many people you expected to take on all those kind of things
1: all those kind of things and obviously I had to in order to kind of make my bid sound I had to show that I had premises I had to find premises and you know get letters that I could take leases out
0: yeah and
1: um, and then all the cost things for everything that I would have to provide and so it was a very detailed bid and um, and there were some other colleges that put in bids for the thatching and the blacksmithing and I think the furniture mm. making and although they included saddle Saddlery in their bids, they didn't have any experience of doing it before. And which is quite
0: unusual, isn't it? I yeah, the, the find,
1: two yeah. colleges that could have put in bids for it, which was, which was obviously Cable Man, uh, sorry, Cordwainers, mm-hmm. who was at that time in um, Hackney. Yeah. And then um, there was the college in Walsall, but both of them were actually going through turmoil themselves at the time. Um, college at Hackney was in the process of trying to, do the same thing and contract that That eventually went to Capel manor college where it still is
0: yeah
1: and warsaw too was um under the microscope because they had done a similar kind of uh, review of their position and they'd found that a lot of the people attending the courses they were actually coming from outside of the town rather than warsaw itself so all that was going on and um and so neither of those organizations which you would have expected to put in a bid for the salary provision did and so I think that put me in a stronger position to be mm. honest and, um, and well, uh, I, well I think history, I, suppose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was also going to say thank goodness that um, you did start the salary training centre um, with everyone that's trained underneath you and um, they're probably thinking what what on earth they would have done if you hadn't started it so
1: yeah good, job, the,
0: good job you did
1: the, um, the training in the way it's always been delivered It doesn't really sit with a college to be honest it's more um, you know it's more aimed at apprenticeship and um, adult provision.
0: Well speaking of that then um, let's go on to my next question because I really want to discuss the pathways to become a master saddler and I downloaded the pathway to becoming a master saddler from the SMS website. And uh, obviously people can't see it, but it's a very complex flowchart. So I was wondering if you could explain the different routes for people to go down in order to become a master saddler and harness maker.
1: I'll certainly try. I had a part (laughs) in um, writing that. um, that Oh, I hope
0: that that didn't come across as (laughs) as a criticism. Not at all. I mean, it's very clear, but it's just there's lots of different elements involved.
1: It's quite quite complicated, (laughs) really. So so I suppose I should start with the apprenticeship route. Um, Hmm. And we are fortunate in our trade to have two apprenticeships. We have the Millennium Apprenticeship Scheme, which is um, run by the Worshipful Company of Saddlers yeah. um, in conjunction with the society. And it's very much based on traditional uh, time served apprenticeship, four years. You have to, an apprentice would have to find full-time employment with a master Saddler. Yeah. And then um, they're appointed a visitor to oversee their progress during the four years and they have to achieve City and Guilds qualifications and put together a portfolio of knowledge to support that um, and then the visitor makes a recommendation at the end of four years whether they are ready to receive their certificate or if they actually need a little bit longer training because there's a you know yeah a little and, bit to do
0: and from your experience are there many willing master saddlers to take on apprentices
1: no unfortunately there aren't and it's become an increasing problem over the years And this is the same. I'll just just talk a little bit about the government apprenticeship and then come back to that.
0: Okay, yeah. It
1: applies to both, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've got government apprenticeship schemes. We used to have um, what was known as a framework apprenticeship, but that all changed about six, seven years ago. And we now have a level two leather crafts person apprenticeship. So yep. we're obviously sharing that with um, two other industries, that's uh, leather workers and um, leather production. So tanneries mm-hmm. and dresses. That's good to hear. It's quite an advantage to share because um, it gives you better numbers. Yeah. Government review apprenticeships every three or four years. And one of the first things they look at is the number of apprentices that have gone through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's always the danger if the numbers are low that they may choose um yeah. not to review so um so that was the idea of getting together with um with some other industries obviously the apprenticeship has got routes through for saddlers leather workers and leather production people so that's the um that's the first one that's delivered by myself we've been delivering that for a long time and we've now got the also Leather Skills Centre, which is also delivering that in the in the town and in the factories.
0: That's fantastic.
1: And then it is, you're quite right, that's a fantastic achievement for the um saddlers company to get that up and running. And then we have the level three bespoke saddlery apprenticeship. So that normally when you've completed the level two, you would progress to the level three. Mm-hmm. That's a twenty-four month apprenticeship and you have to achieve um your saddle and bridle level three sitting yields qualifications as well as producing um your knowledge evidence and portfolio the end point assessment for both of those apprenticeships is quite rigorous yeah and um it's obviously government put funding towards that but coming back to your question just now again you do have to be employed full-time by a saddler. And finding Welcome. opportunities to be employed, whether it's the government or the Millennium Scheme, are really, really hard to find. If you look at the numbers from both apprenticeship schemes, you're looking at this moment in time, it'd probably be about a dozen, a dozen to 15 max um, apprentices on those schemes at, at this current time.
0: OK, well, they, I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to say a higher number.
1: So. Yeah, yeah that's all numbers, amplifies the numbers yeah we been, need to get more in <laughs> we do numbers have been dropping for a little while i mean obviously there'll be a covid will have had a part to play
0: yes of course yeah
1: um i think the other some of the other reasons are um particularly with the government scheme there's quite a lot of um bureaucracy involved i was gonna uh, say
0: is, is it because it's complex and time consuming
1: yes especially for small businesses I yeah. mean, if you take it, if you take a major employer, they'll have, you know, HR departments and people dedicated to, you know, looking after that side of the business and taking care of apprentices. But in but in our side of the trade, you know, um,
0: sole traders,
1: yeah, they were their own
0: boss. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's um it's quite a responsibility. It's quite an onerous thing. And and even though um, the funding has been increased, um. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. Re- I don't think it's really about the money particularly. I mean, it's important. Mm, but I think it's yeah. more about the responsibility uh, that you take on as an as an employer and having all of the things in place that government require.
0: So is there anything that we could do to encourage those saddlers to take on apprenticeships, or is it the case until until the application process becomes easier, more straightforward, less time consuming?
1: I think to be honest that is the case. I, yeah. think, I think if it if it can't be simplified, you know, it's um it is really hard for small businesses to cope um and tick all the boxes that are required.
0: Which is a real shame really, when when the help is there but they make yeah. it too difficult yeah. to achieve. So um so you you spoke about the first route, which is apprenticeship. And correct me if I'm wrong, the other route is by Capel Manor College
1: yes so if you can't um I, th- yeah, I, I don't think there's many people that would disagree that an apprenticeship is the best through into the trade i think working yeah. on the job but certainly um the very next um best option i would say would be to go to cable manor college and do their two-year full-time um, diploma course mm-hmm. um is they've got a very good record with turning out high quality students well-trained with the associated knowledge that you require. So I would certainly, I always urge people to seriously look at that route. That's really encouraging. And do yeah. you
0: think most people go to Cable Manor because they struggle to get an apprenticeship?
1: Um, some do. I don't think, um, apprenticeship obviously doesn't suit everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that, uh, there's certainly some that would prefer apprenticeship route if they could, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily the majority yeah. Um, you know, some are mature students, and you know, even if they were to find an apprenticeship, it's doubtful that they could you know live on the wage that apprenticeship pays in the early years. Yes. Yeah. So there's lots of uh, uh, factors there. Employers um, that do take apprentices very often look for students that are graduating. Mm-hmm. They they will come out with um, you know quite a good skill level and they're ready. To work, it saves employers having to start right from the very beginning with all of the basic skills. So, employers, okay, yeah. so employers um, in the past have targeted that, and then they take one of those graduates and put them on an apprenticeship. They can come straight in onto the level three bespoke side or apprenticeship.
0: And is that through the City and Guilds?
1: Yes. Well, it's, yeah, it's through the yes. So it's through the Institute of Apprenticeships, but their City and Guilds qualifications are part of those apprenticeships and and what a lot of people don't realize and I mean it actually does uh, confuse the issue to be honest but you can put an apprenticeship on both the government apprenticeship and the millennium apprenticeship scheme which so gives, you? which obviously increases the um pool of funding that an employer can access but it also as you probably realize the the Sadler's company that they like to be known as today rather than the Royal Company of Sadler's, I mean they've been around since 1165 and an apprenticeship with them is an extremely prestigious thing to achieve and employers are recognized as uh, master saddlers deemed capable of delivering those apprenticeships Mm. so there's quite um it's got a lot of kudos
0: yeah
1: the millennium apprenticeship scheme Um, but of course the government scheme brings quite a lot of funding for the -the off-the-job training
0: well, I think that's that's really important to know. So thank you for sharing that. For anyone, well, who, who, I who always, did perhaps... um,
1: yeah, I always try and make if when we do get employers that are interested, we always try and persuade them if we can to look at both schemes. You know, the the benefits are huge, really. Okay,
0: so after the after they've achieved their level three, what what happens after that?
1: So uh, finishing an apprenticeship or achieving your City and Guilds level three in Bridle and Saddle will lead to you um being recognized as a qualified saddler with the society of master saddlers
0: okay so so at that point they would then need to apply to become a member of the sms
1: so if they are on the millennium scheme they are automatically uh, gifted if you like a year's membership as qualified saddler it's like a kind of reward well done oh, um,
0: oh that's 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 nice
1: so yes um and actually, they're just about to do the same thing for the um, level three bespoke saddlers too. So.
0: Oh, excellent.
1: So we're really pleased that the society have um, taken that step.
0: And is, and is that their way of further encouraging people to take these to take these routes?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, of course, some apprentices will stay with the businesses they've trained with for some time, and and others. You know decide to either um move on or maybe start their own business um but at that at that point i mean i, th- I personally think it's good to stay and, and gain a bit of further experience but but nevertheless you know they are qualified at that point and um and many do um decide to go on their own okay so um,
0: so once they've become a, a registered uh what should we call trainee saddler how, how long are they looking after that before they can even think about becoming a, a master saddler?
1: So once they've become qualified, they need to spend a minimum of three further years working full time um, mm-hmm. in the trade. Yeah. And then uh, they need to gain the uh, sitting Guilds uh, flocking qualification. And then they can apply to be upgraded to master saddler. So the society will be looking for them to have two master saddlers to nominate them. They need to have evidence of the three further years experience and they will either want to see some current work or they will um, have required the person to enter the com- the national saddlery competition. In other words, they'd want to make sure that their work um, has continued to progress and is deemed um, the standard for master saddler.
0: So when um, they're doing the sort of the three years of additional training, um, yes. can that be either for themselves? Can they be uh, working yeah. for the? Yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. Or obviously yeah. A, another Saddler. Yeah. So in terms of time frame from the very beginning, are we looking at ten, 10 to 7 years? You know, mm-hmm. if you're starting right at the very beginning with the apprentice or capable To become remote. a master. Yeah.
1: So it's a minimum of seven years. Okay. from start well, to that point that that would be the minim, very minimum amount of time it could take you in reality it's probably a little bit more
0: okay so that's really useful to know what option do you recommend for those individuals who are perhaps looking for a career change but because of personal or financial reasons they can't commit to full-time training what would be the best route for them
1: so they're either looking at part-time courses, um, so Capel Manor run a weekend course, which is very good for um, people entering the trade, um, and then there's a few uh, props, private courses run by people with salary businesses, but decide to run a few mm. courses alongside that.
0: Is there, a, is there a website where people can find that information,
1: Mark, where mm-hmm.
0: they show a collective...
1: Yes, private courses and. Signed Master Saddlers list other um, training providers on their website, but the the main thing, the main route I recommend, and it does happen, it does happen to me <laughs> that you've got to come to me, but I still think <laughs>
0: yeah. it's, it's still <laughs> be the best.
1: Anyway. So we run a scheme um, that we call the the new entrance training scheme.
0: Oh, and brilliant! So I, I wanted to ask you about that. So yeah, you. please continue.
1: So, the okay. so new entrance training scheme is something that we um, developed and launched probably, oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. It's really mm-hmm. aimed at those people that are wanting to enter the trade, the, their ages, regardless. It doesn't matter whether they're, a, whether they're a late teens and they can't find an apprenticeship, or whether it's somebody in their 40s, 50s, or 60s even that's decided that um, salary is for them. So we normally want those people to go off and do some part time courses and learn the basics. We want to make sure that they it is what they want to do. They've got an aptitude for it. They've got some basic skills and they've probably set up a small workshop and got the tools um, that they will need. And then we will accept them on our new entrance training scheme so that is a commitment to come on a week's training course every 10 weeks so approximately five courses per year um four i mean we can never promise exactly how long it will take because people you know pick things up at different rates and also some will have more time to dedicate to practicing but it's going to be in the region of two and a half to three and a half years um of keep coming back for those courses. And we will put them through the uh four City and Guilds qualifications. So that's level two in bridle and saddle and level three in bridle and saddle. Um so that when their time is complete with us and they've gained those qualifications, they would be eligible to join the society as qualified saddlers.
0: So you're equipping them with everything that they need. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, because as well as coming for their training courses every 10 weeks we support them in between times you know so Mm. we get all sorts of questions from them you know to to where they can find things or whether it's measurements or how do they make Mm. this or repair that so it's a it's kind of a a support as well as the training courses
0: and can i ask how much roughly that course costs because is it it self-funded as well by the individual
1: yes um, so the course is currently are seven hundred and ten pounds per week. Okay. for the tuition, and then obviously, if we supply materials, uh, that yeah. will be on top. So it, as you can immediately see that is quite a commitment. Yes, yeah. Um, I guess
0: if it means that people can still work full time, um, it, yeah, it's an option, will,
1: isn't it? Some will be working full time, others part-time, and some make a transition whilst the course is running as they learn more so they'll try and um, do more in their own business and and less of whatever their paid occupation is okay um, so
0: you you mentioned just then and previously that it's all about preparing them to become a member of the sms so what are the benefits of becoming a member of the society of master saddlers
1: well, there's no end of benefits, I think. But I think the main ones for the individuals is it's actually recognition mm-hmm. of their skills and their yeah. and their profession, their status, if you like. It's um it's like a reward for yeah. um, recognition for all the hard work that they have put in. So I think that's probably the main thing. But then, of course, uh, having gained um, that recognition that's a business tool that, that gives you the ability to advertise yourself as someone yeah. who is qualified, has skills, you know, can, can give a professional service.
0: Hmm. I imagine um, it's a, a trusting factor.
1: Very much. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the society itself provides um, opportunities for CPD and increasingly running more modules, more training courses. Um so again
0: that, that, is that what you get if you become a member if you get a member all, then you've yeah. got
1: access to all of that of course many of them having gained the saddlery skills may decide to, to then go down the route of saddle fitting or we've mm-hmm. known, society have now got the courses and qualifications in bridal fitting um so again that um being a part of the society will also enable them to 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 take advantage of those um, courses and qualifications
0: excellent excellent so in your eyes what does it mean becoming an sms master
1: saddler? to me it's the recognition of all of your hard work and effort to train to learn to to meet that criteria And, Mm -hmm. and that is the yeah and that's what's driving you really i think is to have that status as a master saddler or a master harness maker.
0: So when people reach the level of mm-hmm. master,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, what what do they tend to do? Do they tend to run their own businesses, work for royal households? I'm thinking, what sort of opportunities does it open up to them?
1: Well, many many will be having their own business. They may already mm-hmm. some will already have that before they reach master status. But yeah. um, but certainly it, it helps that. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there isn't an opportunity for many people to um, to do work for the royal households and things, but um, but certainly some do. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah.
1: And others tend, you know, others will specialise in certain areas. You know, I think the thing that happens during your training or when you set up a business is that you find um, you're driven in a certain direction. It may be because you want to go in that direction. But it may just be that people are seeking you out. You know, yes, maybe, yeah. maybe you've made a, a set of harness for somebody and somebody else sees it and all of a sudden you you find you're getting more and more involved. You're the
0: harness maker. <laughs> and,
1: and that's where you decide to go. Um, yeah. It could be, I mean, obviously the skills of a saddler are so transferable that you could go, you know, into leather goods, um, all sorts of things. You know, you can yeah. incorporate leather into furniture design. There's there's no end really to the directions that those skills can take you.
0: Fantastic. Next uh, I want to come on to sort of your thoughts and reflections um, surrounding the industry but firstly I want to talk about the national salary competition which I know you've been heavily involved in over the years. Can you tell us a little bit how that competition came about and the idea behind it?
1: I think the first competitions took place around um, Um, and wow. I, uh, when I was an apprentice and um, my employer actually was um, a member of the executive committee of the society at the time and I can remember him talking mm. about the competition it was really to try and raise standards and recognize standards yeah um, sharing skills that sort of thing really was that was the initial aim and obviously at the start it was quite a it was quite a low-key competition i think it's probably fair to say yeah and um not though, anymore not anymore <laughs> over the years it's grown and grown and grown but um i think and i think those reasons that that it was started for still stand today i mean i used to enter the competition i can remember entering some of those early years and it certainly um, encourages you to try really yeah. hard.
0: What so did you submit Mark for your entry?
1: Well I've learned a lot of things over the years, I mean in the early, <laughs> in the early years it was sort of bridal work, head um, collars, that sort of thing. Yeah. And Then later on when I'd finished my apprenticeship I um, entered some saddles. Mm. I remember entering a GP saddle um, nice. not all that long after I'd learned to make them. Um, And I did, I can remember one year there was a lined and raised hunting breastplate with attachment, which was quite a quite a piece of work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, you used my employer was very good. He used to let us uh, take time. Out of the working week to dedicate to our entries. And um, we tried really hard to produce the best work we could. And then. um, You've obviously Mm. got the opportunity to go up to the competition. And I think that was the biggest, for me.
0: Motivator.
1: The biggest motivator, yes, was, um, yes, uh, to go to Sanders Hall is a a great experience.
0: Well, I've never had the pleasure, but I've heard it's incredible.
1: um, Um, Yeah, it really is. But what it enables you to do, I think, you know, I work, probably not different than a lot of people, I worked in a fairly small business um, and even at its busiest time when I was there there were probably no more than four of us in the workshop but for a lot of the time only two Mm. so you didn't really get to meet other sandlers or to see other sandlers work very much so to go to the competition and be able to see all of the other entries that was a fantastic uh, way to learn and to improve what you were doing you picked Mm. up lots of tips from from the winning entries but of course the other thing was you actually got to meet other saddlers other yeah. people that you know similar ages to yourself, similar levels of experience and and discuss um,
0: ideas and collaborate
1: yeah exactly so um so it was just a, it was just a great thing and I was, then i've and I've promoted it and I encourage people mm. um to do it for the same reasons really.
0: Um, well, I think those are fantastic reasons to get involved um I always love seeing them at beta. Uh, I think some of the work is just so incredible, especially with the themes as well, and, and how people interpret those themes. Yes, um, it's a really wonderful display. Well, talking of entries, over the years, do you have a memorable entry? So I guess I'm asking, what is your most memorable entry? Because I know you judge, and, and that must be quite a quite a task in itself. So no doubt you've seen many amazing ones, but does one stand um, out for you?
1: Um. Oh, there's so many, isn't there? <laughs> really fantastic things that I've seen. I don't know if it's fair to single one out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you had to.
1: Oh, you're really going to push me, aren't you?
0: Um,
1: <laughs> I think if I really had to choose when it would be the miniature set of... Actually, I'll put it in two two things, actually, if I may. Mm-hmm. I would yes, say yes, one would I will allow the, that. <laughs> one would be the miniature center of harness that france's roach made yeah um i'm not quite sure that's quite a while ago but the attention to detail but the scale. when you scale something down the challenges that that sets you because you know all of the fitting all of the buckles everything's mm. got to be it just doesn't look right if the scale isn't <laughs> perfect and i thought yeah. that, that was a fantastic piece of work and design to achieve that And then the other one that I think sticks to my mind is there was an entry from um, Lucy Batchelor for a side saddle class, Mm. and that I thought was a was a stunning piece of work, and I think it's actually if I'm right, I think it's still on display in Sanders Hall. Is it? I believe that. Yes. Um, well that sounds the,
0: fantastic I
1: get into a lot of trouble now but all the all the, <laughs> all the pieces I've forgotten
0: <laughs> well like I said you, you've probably seen so many um but it's nice to hear about those those two special pieces so talking about special things and uh I want to come on to special people and who have been the key people in your salary career that have either helped shape it form it um influence it, should we say?
1: Yeah, so I think, I've, you know, I would have to say my uh, my master and employer, Cliff Ingram, mm. um, who obviously trained me in my early years, um, would have to put down as uh, one of them. And there was a, a saddler that um, had actually retired by the time I started my apprenticeship, but he used to come in a day or so uh, a week really pretty much to um, t- to help train me and his name was Jack Rideout. Mm-hmm. He was a fantastic saddler so um, but then after that I would say that um, Mike Donovan who was the trainer at CoSyra mm. and I went to work there he retired when I'd been there just under a year but nevertheless he supported me and helped me no end and um and used to continue to come in after he'd retired and and help me out occasionally or if i had to go away for meetings and things but he was a fan, another fantastic sad and a great trainer mm. i learned a lot from him um on the training side
0: wow well,
1: um, that's, uh, that's
0: really nice to to yeah. hear oh we've got, have we got some more coming
1: there's one more there's probably should be more than one more but but um, Tony Russell, who was the chief executive of the Society of Master Saddlers in my sort of early years as yes. um, being involved in society, I had such respect for Tony. He was a he was a great man and a great, um, great ambassador for the society. And I learned a lot from him and i got a huge respect for him.
0: Well, that's lovely to hear your key people and those that have influenced your career. Next, I want to come on to your MBE, uh, which you received in 2014 in recognition of your contribution to the salary industry. What did it mean to you to receive that MBE?
1: Well, it was um, just absolutely amazing. And Mm completely unexpected.
0: What was it? <laughs> I
1: absolutely no idea whatsoever that um a group of um friends and colleagues had got together um and thought highly enough of me to um put all the work together to fill out an application form and and all the information that was necessary to put my name forward. So um yes it was just um just such a a lovely thing to happen really yeah
0: Um, like you said even the even the preparation for the application is is touching isn't it they went to all that hard work
1: yeah I mean I've I've, uh, uh, I didn't know beforehand but I do know now the sort of information that they want Mm. to know about candidates that are being put forward and it would have been quite a lot of work so to know that you know people think highly enough of you to uh, to form to form a little group and kind of <laughs> do that is yeah, it's amazing really.
0: Can you give us uh, some examples of, of what they ask
1: for? Uh, so they want to know your time and achievements in the trade mm-hmm. so in case of finding out somebody's history. Yeah. Um, you know, how long, where they've been, um, what they've done, uh, and then a bit about um, your character. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a sort of, uh, it's a raided, all sorts of information, or really to build a picture of the person. Yeah.
0: Well, um, we we're all very, very happy that you received it. And like you said, it, it's a remarkable yeah. achievement. And to be recognised yeah, like it. that in the salary industry as well is, um, is wonderful. So congratulations to that, even though, oh, thank you. <laughs> even though we're, we're eight years late, perhaps saying it, although I'm sure. I'm sure Richard would have congratulated you at
1: the time. He did. He was one of the first.
0: Oh, (laughs) lovely. Um, I realise we're coming uh, towards the end of uh, this podcast. So I'd like to know what, well, in your eyes, what does the future look like for British saddlery?
1: Yes, I'm glad you gave me some warning for this question. (laughs) Uh, You need a crystal ball, don't you? Um, I do, I think, um, I mean, my, my lifetime really in the trade has been very much the craft side, what what, what we tend to call the rural saddler, if you like, who um, small business sort of mm-hmm. making, in repairing. And so that, I think, I'm going to come back to that because I think that's the side that I can hopefully talk about with some knowledge. But the, but the manufacturing side that I've had left less a part of most mostly based in Warsaw I yeah. think that's difficult to predict I think they're under more pressure than the other side of the trade um, things are being manufactured all over the world now mm-hmm. but I do still think that um, they are the best and I think they're the best in the terms of the quality of work and the design yeah, to that. and they link their designs to the research that is increasingly going on today so I certainly would hope that their future is um is really rosy and good and that that um and that people from the world that I think currently mm-hmm. do look to us yeah um for the tradition and the lead will will remain but um
0: well, I think as well but, it highlights the importance of yeah,
1: apprenticeships, doesn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. But I think they're under more pressure anyhow than the so the side of the trade that I'm more familiar with and kind of work with all my life, I think I think their future is much um, is much easier to predict. I think there's a strong future. I think people are always going to appreciate things that are handmade there's there's quite um you know we've seen all the tv programs that are going on at the moment which are all about handcrafts and
0: yeah
1: skills and so there's quite a, a movement to people recognizing those and so but think around people are always going to need things i think made uh, bespoke things made mm. uh, things repaired things fitted and you need obviously all the associated knowledge and skills to do that yes so i so i believe that our future is good i I don't think we can be complacent we've got to keep working hard we've got to continually make sure we're the best at everything we do Um, but i do think our future looks good there's plenty of people that want to come into the industry i have emails pretty much every day from somebody how can i get into the industry what are the routes so it's um I always get a bit cross when people say, Isn't that a dying trade when they find what you do? And and then I then, put, oh. then I then put yeah. them right and say, Do you realise how many people ride horses, drive horses, work with horses? Yeah. All I think that.
0: Beta um published in twenty nineteen, so it's slightly out of date, but it was like four point eight billion is the yeah. uh the, the UK um equestrian exactly. economy. So mm
1: all those horses need equipment and you know and maintain and yeah and people to fit things and so uh, i think it's a fantastic industry and uh, yeah i think we've got i
0: think sorry Mark. i think also because people are becoming more conscious where they buy things from um how sustainable they are and handmade goods are more sustainable and they last much longer so that, that's an element that we that yeah. we should be focusing on and that you know hopefully we, people will carry on turning towards
1: us and we do need to um i think we've i mean i think we've got a lot lot better but um as an industry i don't know that we're that great at promoting ourselves mm. all the things you've just mentioned you know we are we took all the boxes and yet yeah we're, and yet we're not great at um getting that message out but i think okay. Yeah. Yeah but then anyway, we,
0: we can start doing it
1: <laughs> we can, yeah we need, to, we need to work together more and um yeah make a yeah uh, so i won't
0: ask uh for favoritism now but are you confident in our future saddlers harness makers bridal makers
1: absolutely um, fantastic who, um, yeah there's some great people going through training all you know in lots of different not just here all sorts of different people i come across and the standards of work that you see the dedication is fantastic so um, I think our future is in in good hands
0: that's wonderful to hear well um, thank you very much Mark for your time this morning it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on how to become a master saddler what's involved and of course all your achievements and the impact you've had on the industry is there anything else you'd like to say before we before we go
1: well thank you very much for giving me the opportunity um to talk to you and um i just yeah it's just been a i've no plans on retiring but uh, it's well that's been, good to hear it's been a fantastic <laughs> industry to be part of you know and to carry on as long as i can well i'm sure all our
0: listeners are very happy to hear that so thank you very much again mark and thank you to all our listeners we'll be back next month for our final episode of series two Stay tuned and thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Abbey England Podcraft. Tune in next time for more industry insights. In the meantime, head over to abbeyengland.com for all your workshop supplies.